Hey, uh, so glad you're with us today. One other thing I want to make sure you're aware of. Um, on June 27th, we're going to flip the way that we're doing our Sunday morning services. So currently we're doing 9 o'clock indoors in the worship center and we're doing 1045 outside in the worship lot. Um, come June 27th, that'll be the day when we swap that. So outside is going to be at 9 o'clock. Uh, and inside is going to be at 1045 because we don't want to be baking in the heat of July um, and August. And then we will just continue keeping you updated um, on what uh, on what the next further steps look like. But just keep that uh, on your calendar June 27th. Um, we know there's some things that we'll have to adjust and some kids ministry implications and all of that. We'll keep that information coming to you. But for now, just know June 27th, uh, we're excited just for another step uh, in the right direction. So inside Outside is going to be at 10:45, and outside is going to be at nine o'clock. Now, the message today is called "The Problem with Serving People." The problem with serving people. I don't know if you've ever taken uh, one of those spiritual gifts tests. If if you've been around church for um, much time at all, you might have taken one of these tests, and and you kind of answer some questions and see like what what things you're probably gifted at, like service or administration or teaching or mercy or whatever it is. Um, if you if you have the gift of service, go yeah, I've got the gift of service. I definitely don't have the spiritual gift of service. I I think I more have the spiritual gift of being served. If that's a spiritual gift, I probably have that one. Um, and I think it's uh, I think it's really special. I think it's honestly probably more noble because if you have the gift of service, um, and if it wasn't for people like me who are really good at being served then I don't know what you'd do with your gift of service. So I want to say you're welcome for that. Um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm the worst. Uh, Paul is going to challenge us with the idea of service today. Um, let me read what he says near the end of Philippians chapter 2. He says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, some confusing ideas and words there, I know. He says, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. We'll explain what he gets at uh, in just a minute. But C.S. Lewis is famous for um, a number of things. But one of the things he said was, Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. I don't know if you've heard that quote before. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in, but if you aim at earth, you will get neither. Trying to say there's something about the way that you aim at the the present, the current, the earthly moment, and there's sort of a catch-22 paradox about that, where if if you're trying too hard and you're aiming at it too much, you just might miss it. But actually living with eternity in mind is the only way to actually engage the fullness of life that's in front of you here and now, I think is some of the idea that he's getting at. See, if this finite present life is all that you have to focus on and strive for, then you're going to miss it. All of its promises and its potentials are too elusive and fleeting. You'll end up chasing what it has to offer. You'll end up chasing more happiness, but it'll never be enough for you. You'll end up chasing more money or more health, more wellness, whatever it is, but it's never going to be enough. But on the converse... If heaven is your aim, then you'll find that even in this life, without even trying, that you're satisfied. You're satisfied with what you have and you're okay with where you're at. 
you're not chasing or striving after these finite things anymore because your focus is just somewhere else. See, it's the difference between what I'm going to call today a horizontally oriented life and a vertically oriented life life. I'm going to use that paradigm a little bit this morning. It's the difference between a horizontally oriented life and a vertically oriented life. The same is true for the way that we serve, the way that we sacrifice for people. I believe that your life and my life, it's made up of relationships with people that ultimately you're called to serve. As a follower of Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve, you follow him in serving the people around you. You sacrifice for them. You pour yourself out for them. You give and you give and you give for them. But there's this small shift that I want us to make today. This small shift in the way that, that we orient ourselves, in the way that we aim or, or focus our motivation. It's a, it's a change that makes a massive difference, though it's a small shift. A change in our primary aim and motivation that actually enables us to truly serve people better. It's actually where we put the focus off of people altogether and we put the focus on God. See, it's the difference between serving in a, in a horizontally oriented way or serving in a vertically oriented way. I'm going to say this, that if people are the primary object of your sacrifice, like if you are primarily oriented on people, 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 if people are the primary object of your sacrifice, then I think you'll miss both God and people. And I'll explain why later. But if God is the primary object of your sacrifice and your service, then God will be glorified and people will be blessed as a byproduct. See, here's a thought. The only way to really serve people is to serve God, not people. The only way to really serve people is to serve God, not people. So I want to talk today about shifting the primary orientation of our service and sacrifice off of people and on to God. I believe Paul helps us get there. In Philippians 2, 17 and 18, let me read that again. He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So what does that mean? First of all, like that's some weird language that you and I don't really use, a drink offering and a sacrificial offering of faith. So what does that mean? It just uh, look at quickly just the history of, of what the offerings were, what was happening here. So back in these times, whether you were uh, Jewish, uh, like these folks probably were, or whether you were, um, you didn't even have to be like a even a super formal religion. You could be pagan, kind of a secular person. There was a very normal uh, routine and ritual of offering. And what he's talking about here are two different kinds of offerings. We see it all throughout the New Testament or the Old Testament. We see that there was an animal, like the kind of the main dish, as it were, the sacrificial offering. But then what Paul's saying is, hey, I was the drink offering upon your sacrificial offering. Here's what he's saying. Back then, you'd, you'd have this animal that was burning on an altar. And then to complement that, they would take what's called a drink offering, which was a drink, and they would pour it either on top of the animal sacrifice or they would pour it on the ground in front of the altar. 
And the idea here was that the significance of the drink was that it symbolized, it kind of aided and complemented, it symbolized the rising of the sacrifice, that aroma from the animal, into the nostrils of the deity to whom it was being offered, whether that was the God of the Bible or whichever little g gods they happened to be offering Two, symbolized the rising of the sacrifice, the aroma rising into the nostrils. It was this complimentary, this aiding thing. So the drink offering was like, here you go, sacrifice. Here, here, it's for the Lord. Here, I'm offering you up to the Lord. I'm helping in your offering. So there's a couple things happening in the passage, but but one is, is actually kind of obvious through what he's saying, that Paul has joyfully sacrificed a lot for the building up of the church in Philippi. That's the core, kind of the surface level of what he's saying. He's saying, I have joyfully sacrificed a lot for the building up of the church in Philippi. I have poured myself out for you. I have given of myself so that your faith can grow. So that your offering to the Lord, which is your faith, which is your saving faith in Christ, so that that offering can grow and blossom and flourish and be developed. Paul's sense of satisfaction even was found in this service and this sacrifice, supporting the faith of others. So before we get into how we serve people, Paul helps us answer a question that every single one of us wrestles with. A question that from the time you have the capacity to think and reason and and try to make sense of the world, we, we are asking this question or some version of it. How do I find satisfaction in life? Call it what you want. How do I live a life of significance? How do I live a life that means something? How do I find satisfaction? How am I to be satisfied in life? And is that possible? How do I find deep gladness and joy that Paul's talking about? He says, I'm glad and I rejoice with you all. How do I find deep, real gladness and joy in life? And I think Paul shows us in this passage, shows us that satisfaction is found in sacrifice. Satisfaction is found in sacrifice. Because see, what he says, he says, I have gladness and joy. Church in Philippi, I have gladness and joy. Why? Because I get to be the drink offering to your sacrificial offering, meaning that I get to pour myself out so that you grow in Christ. I get to serve. I get to complement your faith. I get to aid your faith. I get to use my life to spur you on in Christ so that you would grow, so that you would know him more and better. He's even saying, my only real satisfaction in life, see, my only real satisfaction, significance in life, is to follow Jesus and help others follow Jesus. It's like you can just hear that through his tone here. Like my my satisfaction, my significance in life is to follow Jesus and help others follow Jesus. Stop right there for just a minute. Let that just sit with us right here today. Let that sit with you. What does it mean for you and for me to be satisfied in life? It means that our lives are built on sacrifice and service. It means that we were made to follow Jesus and to help others follow Jesus. We live to serve. Having been served by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords himself, we live out of response to that to serve so that others can grow in Christ and know Christ better. We pour ourselves out so that the people that God has supernaturally and strategically placed in your life, they can grow in their faith. 
Your only real lasting satisfaction and significance in life is to follow Jesus and help others follow Jesus. I just, I want to say that very clear and very, very bluntly this morning. And if that sounds sad or small, then I don't think we understand it like Paul did. I think we're missing some of the beauty there because it doesn't get better than that. To follow Jesus and to help others follow Jesus, it just, it doesn't get better than that. And no matter who you are or where you're coming from today or where you sit, man, that hits you in a, in a powerful way. That's, that's a profound thing to, to let hit you this morning for parents, for husbands, for wives, for sisters, for brothers, for friends, for kids. Let that hit you where you're at. I don't know if you ever if you ever feel like me. You just you tend to overproject what you think people need from you. And lots of times there's good sense in that and there's good and healthy things we think they need, right? So, so I think my kids need um, blank, blank, and blank. I think they need more financial security, more, uh, more of this kind of stability, more of this, more of that, more of this, more opportunity, more of the, the best and the brightest future, and I, like all of these things. But the reality is that my kids don't really, really need, like deeply, truly need every one of those things, right? My kids need me to love Jesus, and help them love Jesus. At the end of the day, like that's, that's it guys. At the end of the day, my kids need me to follow Jesus and they need me to help them follow Jesus. The people in your life, they don't need everything you always think they need from you. And if you're like me, you do overproject what you think they need from you and that leaves you feeling constantly inadequate. Because you can never respond to all the needs that you think people have of you, right? You say, they need this, my, my coworkers need this, my brother, my sister, my parents, they need this, my, my wife needs this, my husband needs this, my kids need this, this, and this. They need me to have all of this stuff together. They need me to know what I'm doing all of the time. They need me, the people in our church, they need this from a pastor. They need them to lead and be poised and to know what's happening. They, they need all this. And we kind of overproject it. And they don't really need all that. They don't really need any of that. They need you to follow Jesus and help them follow Jesus. Period. The people in your life that God has supernaturally and strategically placed on the front row of your life, what they really need from you more than anything, they need you to follow Jesus and help them follow Jesus. That is your only real lasting satisfaction and significance in life. They don't need what you think they need. And on that note, you don't need what you think you need, right? Like you don't need the things that you think you need for satisfaction, for significance. More money is not going to satisfy you. It's not going to make your life significant. More promotions, more power, more influence at work or in life, more property, more toys are not going to satisfy you. More stability is not going to satisfy you. More health and wellness is not going to satisfy you. More knowledge, more self-discovery, more work-life balance, more vacations, more friends. Whatever it is for you, like whatever the things are that are always seeming to be the aim and the focus, like, man, can I be satisfied? It's interesting how that attempt for significance and satisfaction, it kind of changes from season to season. It, in some ways, it just, it kind of matures. Like the things get bigger and more expensive and more involved, but the inner fear of insignificance always stays the same. From the time you were a kid 
till now. The hope for satisfaction stays the same. Maybe this will satisfy me. Will this satisfy me? Is the question and the inner fear we're constantly expressing. Paul helps us see that the only real lasting satisfaction and significance for you in life is actually not found in obtaining things or acquiring things or, or taking these steps forward or climbing this kind of ladder. The only kind of satisfaction and significance you really have in life is actually found in service and sacrifice, in giving, in being poured out, specifically so that the people around you can know Christ. You were made to follow Jesus and help others follow Jesus, period. Satisfaction is found in sacrifice. Now, let's zero in on this metaphor, right? There's this weird, tricky offering picture metaphor, like the sacrificial offering and the drink offering. Let's zero in on that metaphor that Paul uses. Let's see, what does this word picture teach us about the nature of sacrificing for people? Is there something that Paul's saying that shows us how we are to sacrifice for people in a way that's actually uh, truly beneficial and helpful and sustainable? Let me say this and I'll explain. Basically, I want, us to, I want us to see today that the drink offering that we talked about, so the drink offering, animal offering, the drink offering is to the Lord, not the animal. And I know that's, that's like, okay, what is that? Like, what, how is that even relevant? The drink offering is to the Lord and not the animal. And let me re-explain how that worked. When the animal was burning here on the altar, the drink offering was poured out. And it was like this compliment. It's like like a food and wine pairing, right? Like if if you know about that, I think you're faking it. I think I I don't think that you know what things taste like or whatever. It always sounds like a lie to me. It sounds like you're making it up. But anyways, so there's there's this burning animal sacrifice, and then there's this complimentary like like pairing, like the drink offering, just to make this aroma even sweeter, to make it even better, to enhance it, right? Like to elevate it and let it rise up to the nostrils of the Lord. There's something very beautiful, tangible about that. But the primary orientation of the drink offering is not like for the animal sacrifice. Like that's a dead burning goat or whatever, right? Like just be real, that's a dead burning ram or bull or whatever. Like the drink, we're not offering anything to that in the Old Testament here in the first century, we're not offering anything to that. The drink offering was just as much vertically oriented to the Lord as this sacrifice was vertically oriented to the Lord. See, the only way for this drink offering to actually be helpful and effective, actually to be relevant, was if it was to the Lord, not the other sacrifice. Oswald Chambers makes the connection for me. He says, this is Paul's idea of service as opposed to is it for people or for the Lord? He says, this is Paul's idea of service. I will spin myself to the last ebb for you. And you may give me praise or you may give me blame. It will make no difference. So long as there is a human being who does not know Jesus Christ, I am his debtor to serve him until he does. Listen to this right here. He says, the mainspring of Paul's service is not love for men, but love for Jesus Christ. That's it. The mainspring of Paul's service is not love for men, but love for Jesus Christ. And don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we, we, don't, we don't love people and we're not supposed to serve people. No, no, no. I'm telling you, it's a small shift in the primary orientation of our service, the primary motivation and aim of our service. 
It's not actually our love for people, but it's our love and our response to the good love of God. See, gospel-centered sacrifice is this. I will pour myself out for you, and I need nothing from you in return. That's irrelevant. It doesn't matter what you do in return. And it doesn't matter what you have done or have not done to earn or not earn my service. That's just irrelevant. Gospel-centered sacrifices, I will pour myself out for you and I need nothing in return. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve sacrifice. A vertically oriented life of service is different than a horizontal one. See, because that is a life that reflects and responds to the sacrificial love of Jesus. And as soon as you start serving others to get anything in return, no matter how small or unspoken that might be in your mind, to get anything in return, to evoke something in them or to get something from them, the the minute that that happens, that's no longer gospel-centered service. That's That's not Jesus' way of sacrifice. That's Honestly, that's an emotional transaction at that point. It's an exchange of goods and services. I do this and, and you do that. I do this and, and I will get this. See, that's the problem with serving people. But when you serve how Paul teaches us to serve, you don't need a response. See, because you're the one responding to Jesus to his life and his death and his resurrection, his good, gracious love for you on the cross and in the empty tomb. You're the one just responding to Jesus and you can just keep responding and responding and responding for the rest of your life. See, the only way to really serve the people around us is to serve God, not people. It's a small shift in orientation, but it really changes everything in the way we serve. Now, look at the difference And then a couple thoughts to land. I'm going to put up just um, kind of a a side-by-side graph and walk down one, walk down the other. So here's what horizontally oriented service will look like and a couple of those implications there. First is that ultimately it's serving people for people. And what you find is ultimately that comes back around to you, that it's serving people for you. There's some kind of desire in here because we're broken. There's some desire in here that's going to circle that back to you in a self-centered way. You're serving people for people. It's conditional. Horizontally oriented service is conditional because people are going to bear the burden of earning your service and or responding to your service. And then you develop expectations. Expectations pave the way to disappointments when what you expected to happen doesn't happen. And then what happens after disappointments? There's resentments there. Ultimately, it's an unsustainable way to serve and to sacrifice for people because the source of strength and motivation is finite. It's you. Like you've got to look in here. You've got to try to find and muster up some willpower and some altruism and sense of long suffering from yourself. And it's just too finite. It's going to run out. On the other side, vertically oriented service, service that is for God ultimately. You're serving people for God. That means that it's unconditional for the people. Unconditional. The people are free to be served. Earning and or responding to your service are irrelevant. Remember Chambers said, you may give me praise or give me blame. It doesn't matter. It makes no difference. I'm just going to serve you and serve you and serve you. It's unconditional. When it's unconditional for people, that means that you are free to serve with no expectations. That brings freedom to you. You're free to serve with no expectations. And ultimately, it's the only sustainable way to live a life of service. 
Because your source of strength and motivation, you're not looking in here, which is broken and bankrupt. You're not looking in there and you're not looking out there trying to find some reason in other people. You're looking at the cross and saying, that's all the source of strength and motivation I need. And it's sustainable for a lifetime of service. When you serve people, not for people, but for God, then just let me, let me say those three thoughts to close, sort of in contrast with each other. When you serve people, not for people, but for God, then the people you serve are free from conditions. Think about that for a second. They're free from all the conditions, all the strings that sometimes we attach to our gestures and to our, to our serving and our sacrificing and our love. But there's, a, there's this unspoken burden that we feel, right? Like, like when someone, oh, perfect example. Like, what do you do when someone pays for your lunch? First, you like, you, you kind of pretend to argue back or uh, whatever. Like I said, I've, I have the spiritual gift of being served. So I'm actually very good at having my lunch paid for. <laughs> it's a gift I've just developed over the years. But no, like nobody loves being the one getting paid for it, right? You're always like, no, 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 let me get it, let me get it, I wanna get it. And you kind of like fight back and forth awkwardly at the counter for a second and the person taking your order is just kind of like, like waiting, you know, like they don't care. And they're like, Haha, you guys are so, such good friends or whatever. And ultimately one of you has to pay. There's just, there's kind of this feeling of like, ah, I owe you one, don't I? I need, I need to buy lunch next time. And honestly, like you're, you're keeping score somewhere in your mind, like spoken or unspoken. There's a little bit of a scoreboard in your mind. Well, well he grabbed coffee last time, so I'm gonna grab coffee this time, I'll, I'll get it. There's this burden at a real level for the way that you serve, like deeply relationally with people around you, the way you serve your spouse, and your kids and your family and your friends. There's this burden of having to earn it. And then there's this burden of having to respond to it. Like, I've got to show you the proportionate sense of gratitude for the level of service that you just did. What happens when people don't show you the proportionate sense of gratitude that you feel like your service or your sacrifice deserves? Man, that kind of hurts. I don't love that. And then ultimately you see this is serving people for people and serving people for people is kind of serving people for me. There's this weird kind of, kind of weird cycle that happens there. But when you serve people for God, then the people you serve are free from conditions. No strings attached. And when that's the case, number two, you're free from expectation, disappointment, and resentment. It's like this if-then cause and effect clause, right? When you serve people for people's sake, Maybe without even realizing it, there are these expectations that develop in your mind for what will happen as a result of your service and sacrifice. And, and these expectations can be selfish in nature or they can be selfless in nature. Right? The expectation can be selfish. If I serve you this way, maybe you'll be nicer to me. If, if I'm the friend that I wish I had, then maybe you'll be the friend that I wish I had. Right? You'll just be a better, nicer friend to me. But maybe it's not selfish at all. Maybe it's expectation for a more common good. See, if I serve you this way, I expect our marriage will feel more fulfilling and peaceful for both of us, right? And that's good, and that's natural. We want that. But if the expectations are there, then what happens when what you hoped would happen doesn't end up happening? What happens when you serve an ungrateful spouse for 20 years and it doesn't get any better? And it's like they're, they're still just not getting the picture. 
And you're like, I know God doesn't like divorce, but man, I don't know what else to do. It's been 20 years. What happens when you're just always the better friend, right? You're always the friend you wish you had. You're always pouring yourself out and giving and serving and serving. Maybe you're the coworker you wish you had and you're always, you're always serving and always giving of yourself. And it just never gets returned. No one ever returns the favor. What happens when what you expected or hoped would happen never happens? You're disappointed. And after disappointment, resentment. Someone said that expectations are resentments waiting to happen. You start to resent the person you served and ultimately you resent the process of serving all together. You think this can't be right. This can't be the way of life for me, serving and pouring myself out and giving and giving and giving. Certainly that's not right. But when you serve people, not for people, but for God, see vertically oriented, not horizontally oriented, then you are free from the pressure of your own expectations. It's not about what might happen because of your service or what you might get in return. You are just grateful that you've been served by Jesus. That the King of kings and the Lord of lords would serve you. That the God of the universe would pour himself out for you. Laying his life down for you. And you forget about expectations at that point. You are just responding to the love and the grace of Jesus. Now for you, serving is just like breathing. It's just what you do. Number three, it's actually sustainable. When you serve people, not for people, but for God, it's actually sustainable. And it's really the only sustainable way to live a life of service to people. And it's where I think the Christian story is just different than everything else. I've been thinking about this a lot in the last few weeks. I was uh, at a memorial service, uh, helping officiate a memorial service a few weeks back. Um, and I was sharing it with a Jewish rabbi, which was interesting. And I, I loved him. He was amazing. We disagree and think differently about a number of things, about who Jesus was and who he wasn't and all that kind of stuff. But I love, love, love this guy. Actually, a, kind, of a fun, kind of a fun thing, which is a weird thing to say about a memorial service, but a fun relationship. Um, here's how the service happened though. So me and him were, were splitting it. Um, before he got up, um, someone else got up is a family member who was a Buddhist. And so they stood up and they said a number of things about, um, just the, the Buddhist faith and said, you know, uncle so-and-so they were, they were what Eastern religions call a, a bodhisattva. It's just a person who is, who gives and, and serves. And it was really beautiful. Like it was a, it was a really cool description. And then this Jewish rabbi got up and, and said, you know, things that more reflect the Jewish faith. And then I got up and I say that not to say anything about the service, but, but in that moment, um, more than I've thought, or uh, in a long time. In that moment, I, I just stood there for a second. Um, knowing what I was about to say, I kind of had, you know, the, the script and the passage in front of me. Here's what I'm going to read. Here's how I'm going to encourage people. But I thought, man, more than in a long time, huh, is the Christian story really that important? Right? Like when you're, when you're sitting there at this crossroads moment for so many people where, where life and death and eternity is on everyone's mind. And, and we hear from our, our Buddhist friend and then we hear from our Jewish friend. And then, and then I stand up and I'm, I'm thinking there for a second, what makes this different? Like, is, this, is, this really, is this really important? 
And honestly, is it really helpful? Like, is this really helpful for humanity? Is the gospel of Jesus really helpful, really beneficial for humanity? Because then I go, I go and live my life, and, and people in my age and stage in life, like, and maybe like you, there's just, there's a skepticism. And there's a hunger for the church and for, for Christian people. There's just this hunger, like, like, why are you different? Like, why do you think that that, that is the way, the truth, and the life? Like, tell, that is the most offensive thing you could say to me. Why do you think that's the way? So many times, it comes down to moments and ideas like this for me. This, this is where we're different. Because our lives consist of a response to an event and a person. There was a real historical person named Jesus of Nazareth who really died on a cross and he really raised from the dead. And now here's the beautiful thing in terms of serving and sacrificing for people. Everything we do is a response back to this thing, back to this moment, this event, and this person. And this is why it's so beautifully different to me than, than every other way of life or every other narrative or ideology or whatever it is. Because at this point, you want to serve and you want to sacrifice. And everybody kind of agrees on that in life. Like, yeah, that is a good idea. I should serve people. There's an altruistic um, appeal to that. I want to I be a sacrificial person. But how am I going to do that without getting burned out? How am I going to do that when I need to serve a, you know, a spouse for, for a decade and more and, and they're just not, they're not returning the favor? How do I do that without getting burned out? I just think the Christian story has hope to offer for that that I just can't find anywhere else because we are just responding. That means you don't have to manufacture this kind of like, like goodwill and selflessness in you. You don't have to manufacture anything. You don't have to like try to manifest it out into your relationships. You don't have to force it or dig for motivation. You're just responding. That's what it means to be a gospel-centered follower of Jesus. You are just responding to the person and the event of Jesus and his resurrection. That's why we're different and that's why it's sustainable to serve people, to sacrifice for people. That's why it's actually sustainable. Let me say this very practically. And I, I realize too, we're all in different spots. Like, like there are different relationships for you. You may not be married or you might be. You may have brothers, sisters, parents, whatever. You might live alone and, and not have much of a community to speak of. There are so many different spots for us in life. But no matter where you are, whoever you're called to serve, whoever is around you, man, you don't have to dig for motivation in here. You don't have to find reason or merit in them. Husbands, you don't have to find something lovely in your wife before you love her. And wives, your husband doesn't need to prove himself respectable before you respect him. Your coworkers don't need to be worthy of your service. Your kids, your brothers, your sisters, your parents, they don't need to be worthy of your service before you serve them. You don't need to manufacture it or dig for motivation. You don't need to find a reason. All the reason you need is found in Jesus on the cross. Crucified, buried, raised from the dead. All the motivation you need is found not by looking inside of yourself and certainly not by looking out in the people around you. You're not going to find anything there but you look to the gospel. 
to the risen Christ who now lives in you and is your hope of glory and who wills and works for his good pleasure. See, we don't need to look inward and we don't need to look outward. We look upward for the motivation we need. We look up. When he died for your sins and rose to give you new life, he not only made you a new creation, but he said, now you can serve like I did. Now you can serve in a way that really points people to me. And when the risen Christ lives in you, you look to the gospel as both your model and your motivation for service. It is all the strength and motivation you need to live a life of service. And that's actually sustainable. So do you want to live a satisfying life? I do. A life of significance, a life of impact. Paul tells us, be the drink offering. Be poured out. He says that satisfaction is found in sacrifice. And how do we really do that? Don't worry so much about serving people. Just respond to Jesus. Don't worry about finding the motivation, finding the strength. Just respond to Jesus. That is all they really need. You can be free from conditions, free from expectations and resentments. Just respond to him and you'll be satisfied. I promise. Let me pray. Lord, we are so thankful uh, ultimately that, that you went to the cross and you were murdered for the sins of humanity. And then three days later, some of the people who were closest to you went to find your body in the tomb and it was empty and you weren't there. And the God of the universe had resurrected over death. And you proved your, your victory and your power once and for all. God, you have served beyond our wildest imaginations. You have poured yourself out more than we can ever think. Lord, you gave absolutely everything. So whoever we are, wherever we're coming from, God, we just, we want to respond to you. And specifically in terms of serving and sacrificing for the people around us. God, would you help us orient ourselves so that that's just a response to the gospel. No one has to earn it or deserve it. We are just responding to the gospel. So Lord, help us be people who are constantly responding to your service for the rest of our lives. We love you. Help us love people for you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.